It's time for Twit episode 302. Kevin Baradet from Cornell University's Johnson School of Management joins the Twit panel along with Peter Rojas and Dwight Silverman to talk about Apple Stores 2.0, a lot about cell phones, and a lady who got booted off a train for talking too much. It's all coming up next on Twit. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for this week in tech is provided by Winamp for Android, the ultimate media player for your desktop and Android device, featuring wireless sync. Download it free at winamp.com slash Android. Video bandwidth for Twit is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Twit, This Week in Tech, episode 302, recorded May 22nd, 2011. Ready, fire, aim. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Ford and the 100% reinvented 2011 Ford Explorer. With room for seven passengers, best-in-class V6 highway fuel economy, and available sync with my Ford Touch, the 2011 Ford Explorer is perfect for your adventures with the family. For more information and to participate in the Mostly Photo Adventure Awards, visit MostlyPhotoAdventures.com. And by Carbonite. Backing up the files on your PC or Mac is safe and easy with Carbonite. For a free trial plus two free months with purchase, go to Carbonite.com. Offer code TWIT. And by Go to Assist Express. If you provide technical support to clients, colleagues, friends, or family, do it easily and without being there in person with GoToAssist Express. For a free 30-day trial, visit GoToAssist.com slash twit. It's time for Twit. A very good day to you. Leo Laporte here and joining us uh, for this fine show, uh, Mr. Peter Rojas from Gadget.com. Hey, Peter. Hey, how's Welcome. it going? Good to see you. Nice. How's everything going at Gadget? You just had a big party in San Francisco. We just had a big party in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago, and then we relaunched the site um, about oh, a week 2. ago. Oh, 2.0, that's right. Yeah, just just put it out. Looking good. Yeah, it's uh, it's come a long way, and the response from people has been really, really positive. And so, you're going to uh, have feels uh, pretty good. iPad kiosks on every story now, right? Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I'll explain what I mean when I uh, get to the news. Also joining us... From Houston at uh, blogs.cron.com slash techblog, Mr. D. White Silverman. Hello, Dwight. Hello, Leo. How are you? Very good. Good to have you on again. And good I want to introduce here. a newbie to our uh, our midst today. Kevin Baradad is the CTO of uh, Johnson, the Johnson School of Business at Cornell University. And uh, a, a longtime guy in the tech world, you... Uh, when you sent me an email, you said, I have sat in the judging chambers of Comdex with Dvorak many a time. Yes. Yeah. Pull your mic up there uh, real close. I'm sorry to say those mics have to be in your face for them to work. So what brings you out here, Kevin? Uh, I came out. Uh, I had some time, vacation time to use, so I came out uh, for Maker Faire. And oh, I love Maker Faire. We had a little coverage last night. Yeah, it? spent the day there yesterday, saw Architect, and it was really great to see all the people learning how to solder and Isn't that uh, neat? make things. Yeah. And, uh, guys in utilicilts and <laughs> the steampunk folks. Uh, we went to Maker Faire Detroit, and they had a utilicilt booth. I almost bought one. My friend Patrick, as you know, is a, they're, they're, they're skirts. They're skirts. Well, anyway, it's good to have you. Welcome to the yes, show. Yes, thank he, you. He sent me an email saying, ten, the top ten reasons why I should be on Twitter, and I was so impressed. I said, come in. 
So uh, story number one, and this is the uh, iPad kiosk uh, story. Man, Apple keeps pulling me in every time. We uh, saw the rumor earlier in the week that Apple was going to, something big was going to happen at the Apple store. Employees were being told to stay overnight on Saturday night. Uh, we knew that the 10th anniversary of the uh, first Apple store was uh, this week. So it was presumed something having to do with the, the 10th anniversary was uh, going down. They said black curtains will be going up. Lots of people will be in. So what is it? It's Apple Store 2.0. Basically, they've rearranged the store, <laughs> and they put iPads at every place. And you can press. Oh, and you don't have to wait for somebody to come and help you. You press a button, like a, like ringing for the butler. And wasn't that come. the big news that uh, they're bringing everyone in to let them know they were fired and being replaced by iPads? That would have been a good story. <laughs> It reminds me of ponchos at restaurant where you raise the little flag to get more enchiladas. <laughs> you know? I don't think I don't know if Steve Jobs would really enjoy that description. Yes, now more like ponchos. <laughs> uh, well, you know the thing. Uh, the last time I was in. Um, uh, the Apple Store, uh, just after the launch of the iPad 2, all of the geniuses were running around with little claws, and every time somebody would put down an iPad 2, they'd have to wipe it off because all the finger grease. Oh, yeah. And so I wonder how that's going to look, you know, at the middle of the day when uh, or they're, they're, they're going to have to run around and wipe everything off because that gets kind of nasty looking after a while. Just think of those kids in the mall with the sticky fingers in the... Yes. So there's the button, talk to a specialist. Would you like a specialist to come over and answer your questions? Yes. No, thanks. The, every device will have a little iPad kiosk right next to it. With I think that's actually is a good idea from a retail point of view. Well, I was in the San Francisco store just yesterday morning, and it was so crowded. Oh, it's amazing. Isn't with it? people milling around. I happened to be up walking around being on East Coast time, and so I got on the line and got my chit for an iPad and came back later, and it was just a madhouse just after 9 a.m., <laughs> It, 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 was that 2.0 or is that still the old uh, the old Apple Store 1.0? No, it. I guess it's still the old one, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Last night they're going to do the changeover. How can you tell? Yeah, no, it's just packed with people. Uh, still phenomenally successful. So congratulations, Apple. Uh, wow. <laughs> Just really Although, you know, the, the ideal thing would be is you're standing next to a product and it's got that little um, iPad next to it and you tap it and you shouldn't really, I guess, even need a clerk or a help. You just say, I want this, tap. And one comes and down ready. from the ceiling. And, right, and then it comes down from the ceiling. Or from, you know, one of the, the roving uh, uh, Apple store clerks. Yeah, you know? here's your you, iPad. Should, yeah. You right. rang? Yeah, right. why should we ask a need a specialist? Just give me an iPad right now. Give me one. Ching. Better yet, it's waiting at the door. Your house, it's there. Just go home. <laughs> go home. Actually, there, you know, there may be something to this. This was the week of the rapture. I noticed none of you were picked up. You're all still here. No, I came back for you guys. Oh. I realized I had to quit. So Peter, like, he takes his commitment sorry, seriously. <laughs> Glad you put your clothes it's, back on, too. No, it, that you know, was a minimum requirement. Eileen yeah. said. Yeah, you got to have some clothes. So this, on, in Wapshire Week, I think it's appropriate to mention this BBC story. The BBC had a documentary in which they do, I like these, uh, this, this new uh, technology is called uh, functional MRIs. You can do MRIs of people uh, while they're actually, you know, thinking about things, do, doing things. And you can see how the brain is responding to stimulus mm -hmm. and so forth. And this fMRI is kind of amazing. You know, you can you can tell all sorts of things uh, about how people are thinking. So this documentary um, apparently uh, did an fMRI 
of Apple uh, brains, Apple fan brains. They ran a, a test on an Apple fanatic and discovered that images of the technology company's gadgets lit up the same parts of the brain as images of the deity do for religious people. <laughs> Is this a surprise to anyone? No, not. <laughs> I mean, what would be more interesting is to see how the brains of Apple haters respond. <laughs> yes. It's it's pretty funny. Uh, there's been a video circulating for a while of Steve Jobs in the original Apple Store. Let me see if I can find it. Because when the Apple Store opened 10 years ago, <clears throat> Apple didn't have uh, an iPod, an iPhone. Uh, it, there, was it, it was just Max. It was just Max. Right. And... Um, it, it, you know, it's interesting because they did feature other people's I, um, uh, MP3 players. There's a uh, there's a, a a woman here in Houston who's writing a book about uh, sex and the brain. I think it's called Dirty Minds, and she has a um, she has a, a Facebook page called This Is Your uh, Brain on Love. But if, as part of her research, uh, she uh, basically gave herself an orgasm while in an MRI. Well, well, well. And and the story is a new scientist that she wrote. She wrote a, a story for it. So and she was able to get pictures, pictures of her orgasm of a yeah. climax. Yes, in her brain. And does it look like an Apple uh, <laughs> Apple <laughs> exactly, gadget lover? Exactly like an Apple. Uh, <laughs> I, I suspect it's somewhat similar. Uh, wow, that's you know, this, these fMRIs are very uh, very fun. I mean, I you know, this, I don't know how big a story this is. It's certainly not news. Anybody would know this. Let me let me show a little bit of this uh, video. This was at MacWorld. Unfortunately, it's very low quality. But at MacWorld Expo, Steve Jobs giving a tour of the first Apple store. What is that? Tyson's Corner, Virginia. Is that where it was in uh, two, That was the first one, yeah. 2001. And we're waiting for the video to load. You know, in 2001 it never loaded either. All right, this is uh, I guess from an Apple keynote at Macworld Expo. Hi. I'm Steve Jobs, Hi, Steve. and I'm here at Tyson's Corner Mall in Virginia, right outside of Washington, D.C., and I'm standing in front of this wood barricade we built in front of our first retail store that's going to open in six days. Did you think, now, Dwight or Peter, yet. that Apple was crazy when they said we're going to go into retail? I know I did. Yes, yes, because of the Gateway. The, you know, gateway yeah. was a fiasco. I was going to say, right. Gateway did a terrible job with their stores. They and, were and closing the is, them when, at this time. Yeah, I mean, when Gateway opened the stores, though, it seemed like a smart move, right? Because it kind of helped them cut out the middleman with a lot of the electronic stores. Um, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where it comes down to execution, right? I mean, it's not necessarily just the idea or the concept. It's really about how you execute on that DS, idea. So I think anyone who's been visited a Gateway store and then visited an Apple store could see immediately the oh, difference yeah. between the two experiences. Yeah, no cow boxes. They had linen. And... Now, this is kind of funny. I mean, this, this is all they had to sell. Was uh, IMAX. Pro section with all our great pro products. <laughs> Look at these whole Every product we Mac make pros. First Look at the size. You know what you know, jumps out immediately is the size of the monitors. There's 17 inch displays of the big displays, you know, maybe 20 inches. They're so small. Here's our newest iBook. We've got iBooks on display. Most of the products are running self-running demos, but you can just walk up to them and start using them for anything you like. That was that was actually a good idea, and that's one of the things that stayed true. In fact, this whole iPad kiosk is more of the same, where you can really you can go to an Apple store and really try that stuff. I think that's the secret of their success. It's more like a high-end car dealership. Yeah, where you walk in and it's kind of the product is art. It's interesting to see this because the Apple stores did not change much, at least in look and feel. Obviously, the material. The, the, what they were selling changed a lot. Did you see that with somebody else's uh, 
MP3 player there. Which probably was an Arcos. I didn't catch it, but I didn't. Yeah, it looked like a big clunky one. Well, do you remember they used to before iTunes? They used um, uh, I think they used Music Match. That's right. For the PC. That's right. They did sell a version of Music Match for That's the Mac. Right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then there was a. Six digital camcorders, six digital cameras. <laughs> cool picks, 995. Six there it is, the Nomad. And six oh, the Palm. Oh. Wow, a Palm. A Palm. All products that they've basically put out of business. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, whatever happened to that creative Nomad? Whatever happened to Palm? Buy a computer, or after you bought a computer, if you had any questions, you could ask a genius. Well, that's what we've got. That's the this most stupid thing. The genius bar. That I'm not I'm crazy not a genius, about. But I'll stand behind here. But people love it. Here I mean, people do. You know, there are people who. Um, I guess who it does speak to normal people, doesn't it? Right. Yep. Normal people feel like if you understand this stuff, you must be a genius. So it makes and sense to them. Right. Boy, it sure is white. <laughs> it's it's supposed to look like. Oh, look, a hotline with a dial. It looks like. It it's uh it does look like he's in heaven, doesn't it? THX 1138. Yeah. Very sci-fi. Not a lot changed. And, and, and uh, I think this is really what an Apple Store today would look like, except for the products. Right. And the, and the TV sets may be back someday. Do you believe that? Do you really no. think that they're going to do a TV set? No, I think, uh, you know, I think the experience that... Uh, HP and Dell had, um, you know, that's so low margin and so hard yeah. to do as uh, at the kind of margins that Apple likes to do it. I just don't think they could they could do it, and it just makes no sense for them to do it. With the possible exception of of the notion that it makes it easier if it's all in one unit, but other than that, I don't see any reason why Apple would want to do that. Well, they they uh, it was a big success. Apple Store 2.0. Just got 20 minutes of coverage out of Twit. <laughs> Damn them. I, I can't. All, right, let, all right, here's the seamy side. The other big Apple story this week, uh, Apple uh, users being badly bit, it seems, from this Mac Defender virus, which is very similar to a virus that's been spreading in the PC world, or a number of viruses in the PC world, where it warns you you've got malware. You go, oh, my God. It's, I think it even says the Apple Security Center. And but we have a fix. Download it. Of course, you download it. You give them a credit card, and you're dead. Uh, this is is this the, uh, the, the the what we've been waiting for all this time? The end of the age of innocence for uh, for Apple. Interesting. Apple's response to this. Um, apparently, Ed Bot talked to an anonymous Apple Care support rep, who says we are not supposed to help customers remove malware from their computers. He also said that our phone lines are currently being jammed by mostly people with Mac Defender problems. Uh, on, you know, Apple says we won't we won't fix it. It's uh, it's your problem. Well, and that's in their terms of service. The Apple they're Care very terms clear of about service. Yeah. yeah, the Apple Care terms of service says that they don't help with malware, and to a certain extent, you know, they have liability issues if they start telling people delete this file, delete that file. Um, it can, uh, you know, they can end I, up with more yeah. problems. And imagine the length know. of that call if they start doing that. Right. Uh, Although I, Microsoft does it. Microsoft has a number that you can call specifically to get help 
with malware. Right. So, but they're set up for that. I mean, you know, Mike, Microsoft has a few years of experience, well. and um, and so they're set up to do that. But in this case, you know, Apple is kind of, I, I guess, is going to have to learn from scratch. Yeah. Kevin, do you, do you have a lot of Macs that you support at um, Johnson We're School? starting to across the university. There's quite a few. We've been a kind of a PC only support area. So you have a lot years. of malware experience. What do you yeah. do? What do you do? I mean, you've got to support um, students, uh, teach professors, uh, and their computers. Well, uh, do you how, do you protect them? Is the student uh, they have site licenses for various anti uh, malware. Components. That's what Apple's telling their their customers is get and, Sophos or um, you know. Get and in for the students, we don't do too much because they own those devices, so we send them to uh, a local service provider. We do provide them some guidance, but in most cases, it's not worth your time to muck around with it. We just make sure the data is backed up, uh, check for identity information, and then just wipe the hard drive, wipe the boot sector, and drop a new image on it. It's much faster, and you know you got it. Bot said that his uh, uh, anonymous Apple Care representative told him that our call volume here is four to five times higher than normal, and the overwhelming majority of our calls are about Mac Defender uh, and its brethren. And Tigo, who discovered Mac Defender, said the same thing. Now, don't forget, uh, uh, Apple folks, in order to do this, you have to enter your password. Apple's always been that way. Uh, it's kind of like Windows UAC only. Mm -hmm. um, even if you're logged in as an administrator, you still have to give it administrator credentials to escalate right. to administrator. Right. And, you know, there's there's kind of this reaction from um, some of the Mac diehard users, longtime users, who are saying, well, this isn't really, um, you know, the Mac apocalypse that people have warned about because you have to enter your uh, enter this information. And it's an installer. You know, you actually have to take action to put it on your uh, machine. But the thing is, this is what most uh, Windows malware is now. Uh, you know, the vast majority of spyware programs are these fake, fake anti-spyware programs that trick you into uh, installing them. And so this is exactly what Windows users are facing right now, the old <coughs> paradigm of the virus, or the, or the, you know, the idea that you in install something that has something else embedded in it. That, um, that's kind of gone, and now you have these, this social engineering based malware and Mac users are facing the same thing. This is created by a software kit that's selling among hackers for about a thousand bucks. You can just like a couple of clicks and you build yourself some Mac malware. Uh, Brian Krebs, the former Washington Post security guy and uh, still a very good security guy said, oh, well just Mac users just have to remember don't install software you didn't ask to install. But I don't know if that's really adequate. I mean, this is why this works. It's social engineering. They're tricking you into installing software. Right. You do want to install it. You yeah. specifically click the button and said, yes, install it. It's not. That's not the issue. The issue is, uh, do you believe this warning? And obviously people do. So they install it. How do, you te how do you teach people, especially Mac people who've never had this to do this before, not to do this? Well, well I guess it's difficult. You know, you need to get, you know, touch the hot stove a couple times. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> burn them. Well, not burn them, but you but you learn that you need to read and, and question. We always tell our folks that if you know something funny happens or have any suspicious, give someone a call before you click on the button. But then, you know, people click so fast to make the screens go away. Yeah. yeah. I tell people difficult. Google it. I said, you know, I, I say, it, look, and I tell Windows users this, and I tell Mac users uh, this. I say, um, if you see something that says Apple Security Center, you have a problem, buy this or download this, just, it's one step. 
Type, just Google in Apple Security Center, because if it is malware, you will see a thousand entries on Google saying, oh, no, install it, don't install it, it's terrible. Yeah, I guess if they're asking for your credit card number. Yeah, the minute you get that. Yeah, yeah that's when you close the screen out and if you didn't initiate it. Yeah, I mean, well, one of the one of the problems with this is that there actually is a software program that's legitimate called Mac Defender. Well, there, and I, I, there, I think it's based in Germany. It's a German and company. It's, not, fits, it's yeah. not antivirus, though. It's uh, I don't think. Yeah, it's some of the security program, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. The uh, the other thing is is that at least with a lot of Windows programs, when you get these pop-ups that say, um, you know, you need to scan and click here to do it, or no thanks. Uh, a lot of times, the no thanks button is also a yes button, and or the whole window right. pop-up yeah. window is a yes button. And I don't know if that's how this particular thing is working. There are some reports. Uh, Ed also dug up about 200 different um, threads in the Apple discussion forums, uh, in which people were saying that they that they didn't think they actually installed this. That they just began getting these pop-ups. And of course, if you have Safari set up, it'll automatically launch friendly files that you download. So that may be what's happening. Right. But um, uh, you a, know, it, the, the initial attack was through a poisoning of a. A Google image search. So right. you do an image search, and uh, the, the website that's serving the image, not Google, but the website where the image lived has been hacked mm -hmm. and uh, pops up uh, this, this uh, warning. But, I mean, we can... Look, anybody who listens to this show is not going to get bit by this. I don't Probably think. not. Right. Uh, it's more like on the radio show, or, or when you do your radio show, Dwight, where those are, those, those are the people we got to reach out to and say, hey, just Google it. You know, be well, smart. And there's also this. There's also this large group of uh, Mac users who are former Windows users who came over to the Mac side because they were running away from viruses. They got viruses all the time, and um, and the reason they got malware, spyware, and viruses, it, it, to a certain extent, had to do with their behavior. And so they get on the Mac platform and they think, oh, I don't have to worry about it. Uh -huh, yeah. <laughs> you know. And so, the, in fact, I have had. Mac users who used to be Windows users tell me they switched because they could surf porn safely. And uh, <laughs> that's just like astounding to me. Uh, so, so you have this kind of setup where people are going, um, you know, oh, they're, they're doing the same things that they did when they were Windows users and, and they're, um, they're vulnerable. So, yeah, and I, I think, you know, just like Dwight's saying, I mean, one of the problems is that you know, Apple kind of leaned into that, right? They they didn't discourage people from thinking that Macs were a lot safer than, um, you know, than Windows PCs. And by and large, they are safer. I mean, there are obviously fewer uh, viruses and, and things like that for Macs, but they're not, nothing, you know, no platform is foolproof. And I, and I think if people don't become more vigilant in the way that they use their computers, you know, eventually you're going to have similar issues come up. Well, it's the end of the age of innocence for uh, the Macintosh. There's no no doubt about that. There was an interesting article in the unofficial Apple weblog. I think it was that. That's where I saw it, uh, where the guy uh, did a little calculus. You know, because the question's always been, are Apple somehow safer because they're more secure or just because they're under-attacked? And he said, you know, it's pretty obvious that just like Willie Sutton went robbed banks because that's where the money is, bad guys are going to go where the opportunity to make the most, you know, effective attacks are. And you just looked at the raw numbers of Windows users. It was always Windows. It was not only was it easier, but it but that's that's where you make the money. But he says what's happened is as Windows has become more secure, as users have become more sophisticated, he said, you know, 
an estimated 80% of Windows users are now running antivirus software. They're, they're updating regularly. They're no longer really that easily attacked. That leaves only 20%, whereas virtually no Mac users are protected in any way or know anything at all about security. So that what's happened is that 20% of Windows users that are vulnerable is now roughly equal to the number total number of Mac users, which is about 17% of the total. So he says there's a line you cross, at which point it becomes economically viable to go after Macs. And it'll probably continue to seesaw back and forth, and eventually the Linux people will catch up. <laughs> oh, oh, you're just a fountain of light and happiness, Kevin. That's, that's wonderful <laughs> well, there's, If there's money to be made, someone will that's, try and exploit it. Right. And I think that it's it, the thing that say, to really say that's very clear is that anything can be exploited if Correct. there's enough uh, incentive to do so. It's merely it's a matter of incentive and effectiveness. And I don't think the Macs are more secure. It's obvious they're not more secure. Even if you have to enter a uh, password to, uh, to hack your Mac. I mean, to be fair, I have seen people make the argument that because OS X is based on Unix, that it is fundamentally safer than Windows. You know, I've thought about that. I've even, I may have made that art argument. It, it, but I think it's, it's a marginally more effective. Perhaps. I mean, perhaps, but I've just, I've, I've seen, you know, security experts you know, make that argument right. to me. And I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not technically sophisticated enough to be able to judge that, something like that. It's more... We also have to keep in mind the very first worm was for Unix. Right. The cuckoo's mm -hmm. egg worm, that right. was for Unix. And uh, so every every operating system is, is vulnerable. I think the reason that you might say the Apple's more um, secure is because it's based on an operating system that was multi-user from day one, whereas Windows... Right was really never designed around security. And that was an after-the-fact add-on in XP and NT, which well, is now truly a multi-user operating system. And I think over years, Windows has become much more secure. Well, this is a little bit different. It doesn't matter how secure the underlying operating right. system is because the user lets them in the door. And once right. you're in, on the other side of the security barrier, anything's possible. Right. <laughs> Especially when you ask them to put in their credit card right. and their password. You know, one of the things apparently that, that this program is doing is uh, is you enter the credit card and it says, no, no, that's wrong. Uh, try another one. And then another credit card says, no, that's wrong. Try another one. So the idea is to try to trick you into entering multiple, not just one, but give you give them all your credit cards. And I think a week, I, I talk to people on the radio show all the time. It's not that they're dumb. It's just that they're not thinking. They're, they're, they're trusting. And they, they do it. And they give him the credit card. I had a guy last week call the show. He said, I'm over at a friend's house. Her computer was hacked. Uh, she's running Windows. I ran the uh, Windows scan. And uh, then I got a message saying, you need Windows, uh, the Windows Advanced module. So I, uh, I, I, download, I bought that and downloaded and installed it. So am, am I okay now? And I said, the Windows what? He said, the Windows, I said, there's no Windows Advanced module. What are you talking about? I said, did that cost $79.95? He said, well, yeah, matter of fact, it did. And everything started working again. <laughs> I said, I, I felt bad because his, his friend that he came over to help is sitting right next to him. And what I have to tell her and him right now is, your, your buddy just downloaded a, a virus and put it on his computer. You just emasculated this guy. He just, yeah, the poor guy. He ain't, got, he ain't getting laid tonight. Well, I got a call <laughs> a couple months ago uh, from the credit card company asking if I had uh, purchased $1,000 worth of perfume in the last 15 minutes. So I called my mom and I said, it's not for me. But uh, yeah, they caught it. But I have a card I just use for web transactions. And so if that doesn't go through, I don't complete the transaction for oh, that reason. That's smart. That's smart. Yeah. 
and it has a fairly low limit, and you know the bank does call if something but weird Kev- happens. Kevin, you're sure you didn't buy a thousand dollars worth of perfume? No, I did not. It, was, just, it wasn't I'm, my scent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he smells good, doesn't he, Leo? I'm just I'm sitting in the room with him. I just want to say you, you smell mighty fresh. Well, it's the barbecue sandwich from the. Yeah, Petal- oh, you know, to me, I think, and most guys I would think would agree, is there's no better perfume than barbecue sauce. <laughs> that's that's what I'm looking for. That's a good flavor. All right, we're going to take a break. We have, uh, it's great to have you in, Kevin Baradet, who Thank is a, uh, an actual person on the ground dealing with technology, CTO at Cornell's uh, Johnson School of Business. Graduate School of Management. Graduate School of Management, sorry. Management business. Difference? No, not really. It's all the same. Great, very famous, very great school, and uh, really nice to have you, Thank uh, you in here. Also, Peter Rojas from GDGT and uh, Dwight Silverman. Actually, when we come back, Peter, I want to ask you, because you deal with cell phones a lot, it strikes sure. me that the real apocalypse is going to be uh, when cell phones start to be hacked, because they're just, they're just made. It started a long time ago, actually. Has it, really? Yeah. People were doing hacks via Bluetooth. Oh, snarfing, that's right. Yeah. Remember there was that whole scandal where, um, well, one, remember when Paris Hilton's cell phone got hacked? Yeah, but that was because she used her dog's name as her secret well, question. Sure. But, uh, <laughs> uh, What's she your some, dog's some, name? Some obviously stupid things. Yeah. But, um, but people were, uh, yeah, were, were, were snarfing and, um, you know, being able to, like, penetrate people's phones via, via Bluetooth. And I remember writing about that, like, six, seven years ago. Right. And, but yet there's not been a really good widespread... Uh, mobile hack. Maybe are mobile phones more secure? I mean, they're they're supposed to be. They're trying to be. They're trying to be. Uh... I mean, yes and no. I mean, I think that it's it's you know people are. It depends on the platform, right? I mean, if you look at um, you know Android, which is more open, right. and uh, there have been instances of people um, you know creating apps that you know fish for people's personal details and things like that, passwords, etc. Well, I just—I know—I just wait for the day that we do a twit, and uh, and instead of saying "Oh, Mac Defender," we're saying you know the uh, the big the big Android virus that's sweeping the world, and it can cost you a lot of money. I mean, it's not merely uh, getting personal information now; they can send text messages for twenty-five bucks. There's all sorts of stuff they can or do. run through your contact list, and uh, that's worth money. Yeah, at RSA, there was a this year there was a session about cell phones and that uh, cabbies get paid when they find a cell phone. They get paid a certain amount of money if they find a cell phone and turn it over. They get paid more money if as soon as they find the cell phone, they pull the battery. So you can't wipe it or... So you can't wipe it. So they know wow. to go to a corner That's so somewhere, smart. roll up, hand the cell phone out the window. They get paid cash and then the people take it into a shielded room and uh, fire it up and suck so it, the contacts out of it's it. It's not the cell phone they want. It's the data. It's the data. Because people have contacts, uh, you know, passwords, credit card numbers. Wow. Don't lose your cell phone, folks. No. Wow. <laughs> so maybe it is happening. It's just not, it's not making the news. Uh, before we go on, I want to talk a little bit about our friends at Ford, the Ford Explorer, and our show, Mostly Photo. I'm really glad I can give you a little plug for our Mostly Photo show. It's every Tuesday uh, we do it live, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern at live.twit.tv with Lisa Betney. Chris Marquardt will be our uh, guest. What we've been doing is we've been bringing in great photographers to show you their photos, give you tips. Uh, it's just I just really enjoy it, and I really am glad to have Ford 
as a sponsor. The, the brand-new 100% reinvented 2011 Ford Explorer. I think one of the reasons Ford wants to be involved because the Explorer is just like the perfect family vehicle for photographers and, and people who want to go on adventures and go on treks. It is a, a sweet, beautiful vehicle. We, we've been driving Explorers at all our photo walks. Of course, it has the available sync with my Ford Touch with the big 8-inch screen in the console, the two screens behind the steering wheel. Simply the best in-car entertainment, navigation, phone call system out there. And we also want you to go to our Mostly Photo Adventures website, mostlyphotoadventures.com, because every week we have a little vote, on a, a, a vote on our pictures submitted by our listeners and viewers. Um, and you get to vote as well as uh, the judges get to vote. If you go to mostlyphotoadventures.com and uh, click the link that says finalists, you can find out about how to submit your picture. You can see who the finalists are and then see the Twitter tag that allows you to vote. This week we've got Tress Chapin, C.M. Ortega, and Visual Ideas, three amazing landscape photos. And we want you to pick your winner. Lisa will pick her winner. And uh, each of you will get a $100 gift certificate from Amazon thanks to Ford and the 2011 Ford Explorer. This was our winner uh, last week. This is a really sweet picture. Just just love oh, it. That's a great Isn't picture. that great? And the one the week before was, I think, a prize winner from Kenny L. Uh, this was this was actually taken at our New York photo walk. Lisa did a photo walk that started at the Fifth Avenue uh, Apple Store. These guys are at a wedding. The photographer was on the photo walk, ran over, and took this picture. I just think it's it's a it's a classic. It looks like it's straight out of Vogue. Just a really fun picture. Mostly photoadventures.com. And thanks again to Ford. An invitation to visit your local Ford dealer and try that 2011 Ford Explorer. Uh, best in class V6 highway fuel economy. The sync with my Ford Touch. It is just spectacular. I ended up with a Ford Focus. 2011 I can't for the rental wait. car. It's nice, isn't it? Yes. I was very, very, it's probably the best rental car I've had. I already sent a, 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 a Twitter tweet to uh, Scott Monty at Ford because I, you know, I already said, uh, and I'm, uh, but I'm waiting because I want to get the 2012 electric focus, right? So I'm really excited about that. That'll be out probably end of the year. And uh, so I already sent a tweet to him saying, can you, you know, can you help me out? And uh, he said, well, we might have some for uh, select editorial to drive in the summer. So I I'm holding, I'm crossing my fingers. But it's a nice car. Yes. You got the gas one. But they yes. have a gas, they have a hybrid, they have a plug-in hybrid uh, coming, and then they have electric uh, coming. They've really done a nice job. We're really glad to be associated with Ford. I mean, not only is it prestigious, but it, I just think I like what they're doing. I, I think they've made a good they pivot. Yeah. They did the pivot. And so few companies are able to do that, you know, to go from being a, a 20th century, even a 19th century industrial company into the 21st century is not easy to do. Not at all easy to do. Um, <clears throat> speaking of cell phones, <clears throat> this is not this is not a tech story, but I but I got to mention it anyway. A woman on a train ride from Oakland to Salem, Oregon. Um, <laughs> should I run the video? <laughs> you, you're laughing. You already know what I'm, where I'm going know with this. <laughs> you already know what I'm going with this. So she gets on the train. It gets in Amtrak has uh, a um, kind of quiet car that you can go into. She goes into the quiet car, pulls out her cell phone, and for the next, get this, 16 hours, blabs loudly on the cell phone in the quiet car. 
I want a phone with that battery life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no like, kidding. That's what, the first thing I thought is that. <laughs> How did she oh, do it? Why didn't someone pay off the conductor to turn the power off? They, let me tell you something. They, uh, this, this is the train coming in. Somebody shot video into oh, Salem, Oregon. Cars. Huh? Two squad cars? Two squad cars. This is a big arrest about to go down here. Yeah. This, uh, this woman, they, they announced in the car several times, uh, you're in the quiet car. She apparently got in a verbal altercation with the uh, people in the car who said, shut up. And she said, you're disrespecting me. She stayed on the phone talking loudly for 16 hours at Salem, Oregon. They took her off the train and arrested her for disorderly conduct. <laughs> Poor woman. But I got to say, <laughs> right on. <laughs> Why is it, Peter, maybe you know. Why is it people talk so loudly? on cell phones you know it's because they think that uh it's because they're having trouble hearing the person they're speaking to and oh. they think that being louder themselves will make it easier to hear the person that they're talking the, to but you know the funny thing, thing about about cell phone conversations is that they actually did some studies uh and found that what makes them especially irritating is is hearing just one side of a conversation is uh will bother people whereas oh. if you are just hearing both people talking together it's much less annoying and i think it's because of the discontinuity of hearing someone talk and then it pauses. You're only hearing half of it. You're only hearing half of it. So exactly. you, you, if, you it were, if you were eavesdropping on a conversation, at least you'd have something to listen to. Exactly. Well, also, so it, it's I, like they've shown that people are like way less annoyed <laughs> uh, if you can, you know, hear both people talking. So I should do it on the speakerphone and then it'd be okay. Uh, <laughs> but not in the quiet car, apparently. Not in the quiet car. I think one of the reasons why people talk louder, I've, I've heard this, is that on a cell phone, you don't have the feedback from, the, from your speaker you back don't hear into yourself. your ear. If you're on a landline, you know, you can hear your own. It's like having headphones, you know, when you're doing radio. Yeah. And um, you can hear yourself, and so you're able to modulate better. And I think you don't get that kind of feedback on a cell phone. Yeah, there's side tone from the um, mouthpiece into the earpiece. In a regular phone. In a regular phone. It's something Bell Labs did many years ago. when they Probably for the same reason. For the same reason, because people were shouting, What? I can't hear you! And they found if you fed a little bit of their own voice into their ear, they talked it in more normal well, What's volume. wrong with Nokia? Why didn't they do that? <laughs> Give me some side tone. Probably because of feedback concerns. Uh, it, may, it may also, well, it, uses, it would use some battery yeah mm -hmm. they'd have to redesign the cell phones so um peter you had an interesting speaking of nokia an interesting um article in uh, on gadget this week yeah i, I wrote i do a, a newsletter each week uh for the site now suggesting uh, that maybe microsoft should pick up nokia well you know it was less like suggesting that they do and more sort of trying to think about why they might do it because um, you know, the rumor went around, um, you know, earlier this week and, um, I actually did hear from some people, uh, that they're, the two companies have been at least talking about the possibility. I don't know how advanced it is. How much would Nokia be? It'd be like $35 billion or it's something like that. It'd be, it'd be, it'd be doable. I mean, they would have paid a similar amount for Yahoo at one point. Um, that's but right. It, <laughs> you know. I don't know if that's a recommendation, <laughs> but that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, I think it comes down to Microsoft kind of recognizing that, you know, however you slice it, all the growth in computing is going to be in mobile for the foreseeable future. And that's right. Microsoft just doesn't, you know, I mean, getting Nokia to adopt Windows Phone is a big win, 
But, uh, but otherwise, I mean, they haven't gotten a lot of traction for Windows Phone, and, and they don't have a dog in the tablet fight really at all. Microsoft uh, paid Nokia $1 billion to use uh, Microsoft Windows Phone 7 in the Nokia, new Nokia handsets. Although Nokia says they're kind of redesigning those handsets. They're, gonna, they're kind of not going to be what you expect, right, for a Windows Phone? Well, I mean, think that's the the hope is that Nokia is going to bring its hardware expertise <laughs> to bear. Please redesign it, please. Do something. I mean, you know, the thing is, Nokia. I mean, has historically been great at hardware. Um, they have great engineers. They have great, you know, they're I really love, great at I have a, getting an, the most out of the hardware. I have an N8, and it's the greatest phone ever. And it's the worst opera. It's just feels like a ten year old operating system. It's a well, S Symbian. I mean, 16. Symbian's even older than that. But um, well, and uh, I used yeah, I used Symbian when it was on the Scion 3A. It was my favorite little PDA. Yeah, it, it's uh, you know, Nokia found out the hard way that um, uh, you know, you invest in, if you don't really invest in your platform and take those big risks and and sort of cannibalize yourself, that somebody else is going to do it for you. So you think it's credible that this might happen? I think it's possible. I don't think it's probable yet. I think it's a huge amount of money to spend. I think that um, you know, Balmer, I don't doesn't really have that sort of big strategic vision, and it's also not really clear whether there would be enough value in buying Nokia when they already, you know, have them agreeing to use the OS. Uh, right. One of the scenarios that I, I, I sort of was thinking about, I actually didn't talk about in the newsletter, but um, is maybe they split off the dumb phone business from the smartphone business. And, um, you know, Microsoft just buys the smartphone business and then sells the, um, the dumb phone business to like ZTE or some, right. you know, rising Chinese manufacturer. Right. And then it's a smaller deal. It's still an international market for the small phone, the feature phones. Absolutely, um, it's you know it's it's going to be smaller and smaller over time, but it's still enormous right now. Well, maybe you know I don't know. Microsoft's got to do something. That's I think that that's really the bottom line of your article is that's why these rumors are flying around. Microsoft is just kind of dead in the water, and they're talking about Windows tablets. I mean, come on. Well, I mean, one of the things they're going to do is they're going to bring Windows 8 to ARM processors. Yeah, Intel had some interesting things to say about that. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's things are going to get ugly there. Uh, I, I think um, you know, Intel obviously is sort of feeling challenged by all this stuff. And uh, someone just posted in the chat room, Intel 2 is dead in the water. And you know, Intel has been kind of left behind when it comes to mobile processors. Um, you know, ARM is really uh, uh, kind of dominating there right now. Yeah, and, and Intel would very much like to get mobile, but the thing that scared them was the idea that Windows 8 might run on uh, ARM. Uh, Paul Ottolini, talking to analysts, uh, said that Microsoft would have four versions of Windows on ARM. He says, I believe Intel is still the only architecture at the chip level whose silicon runs every major operating system out there. The ARM guys are getting a port to Windows, but what the ARM guys are getting is four ports to Windows. Every operating system has to write to the chip, with the writing of Microsoft, and Microsoft is doing it uh, for four versions of ARM vendors, is like Android writing to multiple versions of the ARM chip. Are they four different views and versions, or just four different SKUs? I, I guess what he's saying is because uh, there isn't one ARM processor, right? So they'd have to write for different ARM manufacturers. Okay. And you'd have to you'd have to have this is Windows for whatever, a, a, you know, Whoever Cortex, Windows yeah. for, um, I, I think this is fun. In fact, Microsoft dis dismisses. Yeah, Microsoft has sort of uh, has dismissed a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Um, right. you know. Here's an interesting question. What, um, in your N8, Leo, what is the processor? 
I don't even know, to be honest with you. I should... Is it an ARM? Is it an ARM processor? Should I open it up? <laughs> what, I'm uh, sure what, it must what, be. I was surprised it, if it was anything else. It's got to be. Everything's it, an ARM. Right. It make, well, what makes it interesting is, is if, uh, let's say that Peter's idea comes to pass and uh, you end up buying Nokia, and then you also have a, a strategic deal with ARM, that could be very interesting for both the Windows Phone 7 and the Windows 8 um, operating system. It's a that 680 really megahertz uh, ARM 11. So it's yeah. kind of a low and slow. It's not a very fast processor. Um, but it is an ARM. But it, it is an ARM. That's uh, what AM AMOLED capacitive touch, which is part of the problem. Mm -hmm. um, you can really feel that. Um, it uh, it has a great camera. I mean, it's, it's like a. It's really what it is. Is a great. It's a point and shoot camera that happened to have a phone in it. But the the operating system is just. It's twelve megapixel camera in here. The thing about Windows Phone Seven is it really is a nice operating system. It's very fun and cool to use, and it's very satisfying to use. It's still somewhat incomplete and. Hopefully that'll get fixed faster than Microsoft is fixing it, but it kind of deserves a chance, I think. Absolutely. It's very, it's you, you agree, Peter? You like it system. too? You know, I like it. it it's 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 actually, um, you know, Microsoft went back to the drawing board and and they actually, you know, created something really nice. Um, it's it's a very intuitive uh, user interface and um, it feels kind of fresh in a lot of ways that even iOS doesn't feel fresh anymore. And, uh, um, you know, I think the problem is they just were a little late to the game and, uh, you know, haven't been able to get the kind of, um, you know, support behind it that, that just some of that just takes time. And I think they've also done a, kind of a mediocre job of marketing it, just like they did a mediocre job of marketing <laughs> soon. They're yes. the worst <laughs> marketers. They just don't understand it, it, marketing at all, which is baffling. If, if well, but Xbox, really I mean, they've done a great job with Xbox. I guess. If you want to see something really interesting, there's a Twitter client for the iPhone called Maha. Yeah. And uh, this is a Windows, I don't know how well this will work, but this is a Windows. Uh, oh, it's using met like a Metro OS? Yes. Metro UI, yes. It I mean? looks like it, it looks very much like. It does. Um, yeah, like Zune, uh, and you can do black or or white background, and it has that same kind of oversized font for the headers. That oh, and interesting. And the uh, the menus swing away like the uh, like it does. Right. But it's really interesting. You're seeing people being influenced by that design, and I find that really interesting. Yeah, Tuesday, Microsoft's got a big event in New York. They're going to uh, apparently uh, show nine new Windows phones. They'll finally get the Windows Phone. Um, on uh, Verizon and um, is it Sprint that they're missing? Yeah, Verizon and Sprint. Uh, and also they uh, supposedly be talking about their Mango update. Do you know anything about this, Peter? Yeah, I mean, it's going to have a bunch of... Um, uh, Cut and paste! Just, like, like, yeah, stuff like that, like coming to <laughs> Finally. it. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, to me, the, the, uh, the bigger issue is less um, what is going to be in the updates and how are they going to start rolling them out successfully. Because one of the whole um, ideas behind Windows Phone was that Microsoft would have more control. And so you wouldn't have the Android issue where uh, phones are coming. I mean, Android 2.3 has been out for, you know, six months now or something like that. And like people are still putting out phones on 2.2. And, um, and then phones are not getting upgraded. And right. I think one of the things that Microsoft sort of promised with Windows Phone is we'll have more control. It'll be uh, tighter distribution. And so we'll be able to roll out updates more quickly. And that hasn't really happened as much as it's supposed to have 
So that was that's the thing that I'm more cur- curious about is is when they announce this, what's the plan to get actually getting the update out to as many phones as possible? Well, and it's a double-edged sword. If you you know, I think Microsoft was smart in 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 saying these are the hardware standards. So most Windows phones are very very similar, but they all reach a certain level of functionality. I think the amount of memory is about the only difference, and of course form factor. So they they but that's a double edged sword, as you said, uh, Peter. If they don't if they don't take advantage of it, the disadvantage is there's no excitement when you know we've got new nine new Windows phones coming out on Tuesday. But so what? It's it's going to be very much like the existing Windows phone. There's no excitement. Whereas every time an Android phone comes out, there's a lot of buzz about well this one's going to have you know dual processors or a bigger screen or higher res screen or whatever. They're not yeah, gonna they're be... going to have to start. Um, I mean, they they have they did promise uh, way back when they announced Windows Phone that they would eventually offer more flexibility to manufacturers in terms of what they can do, what they can, you know, the processors and screen resolutions and and that sort of thing. Yeah, but, but right now they're very similar, and I think that it's intentional. It is intentional because they they wanted to keep um, avoid the you know they want to have a more consistent experience across all the devices. Kevin, you were going to say. Well, I don't think they'll be lining up at 6 a.m. outside the <laughs> store to get a kit to come back at 9 a.m. to right. buy them. Yeah, that's obvious. Uh, so Gartner estimated that about 1.6 million Windows phones were sold in the first quarter. That's about uh, is about 500,000 a month. Compare that. That's about four days' worth of Android phone sales. Uh, 400,000 yeah, people. Not, it, it's not as substantial no. by, by any measure. Yeah. Uh, and I know that the numbers disappointed people at Microsoft as well. I think that they thought that um, the adoption rate would be a, a little stronger at this point. Yeah. And Microsoft has yet to give out its own numbers. You know, they haven't, they have yet to say what anything, they're kind of being like Amazon with the Kindle. You know, they have yet to say exactly how many of these are sold, and that's not like Microsoft. Right. Usually, they're trumpeting. Well, you know why they're not saying it. Yeah, you know exactly right, why they're keeping right, that quiet. Right. Uh, oh, and this is the, actually, this is the death blow. Angry Birds won't ship until June 29th. It's been delayed. That's it. Forget it. Nobody's going to buy it. Did you see uh, Rovio announced that, what, uh, what was it, 200 million copies of Angry Birds have been, have been downloaded? That's amazing. Several hundred million minutes a day, and the CEO said, "Well, those are minutes you probably wouldn't have been doing anything with anyway." <laughs> yeah, right. That's time you would have wasted doing something else. <laughs> Two hundred million. I can't. That's mind-boggling that that many copies of a, of anything have been downloaded. That's that's like Windows numbers. Yeah, amazing. And I think AT and T. I've got a. Um I've got one of the new AT&T uh, Infuse, and it ships with Angry Birds on it. <laughs> so yeah. it comes as, as yeah, Angry Birds is, is Angry right Angry Birds on is the Microsoft office of the mobile era. <laughs> right. <laughs> I have that phone too, Dwight. What do you think of it? Yeah. It's a great uh, phone. Yeah. Tell, tell, okay, tell me more about it. Dwight, you, you want to go first? Okay. Well, it's a... It's it's a kind of an oversized galaxy phone. It looks it's, big. Uh, yeah. Is it 43 or is it bigger? 445. Almost yeah, it's almost a tablet. It's almost it's, a Dell Streak. Uh, yes, although it's it's fairly fast but it, I don't know about uh Peter where you are, but in Houston the HSPA plus network is horrible. No, it's and pretty I, bad here in New York too. 
Yeah, it's and it's. I'm getting slower speeds with this 4G phone on with internet connection uh, than I am with my iPhone. Which oh, is that's 3G. terrible. So it's this is T, this is T-Mobile or AT and T? This is AT and T. AT and T. AT and T. Yeah, and it's the first. It's the first uh, Android mobile phone that is shipped that allows side loading. It actually has the checkbox that says get it from sources other than the market, and so you can check that, and then you can just go ahead and download. Well, wait, um, no, no, my phones have always done that. For AT and T. No, oh, for AT and T. Yeah. AT&T, right. Oh, right. a good reason not to buy an AT&T Android phone. I didn't know they didn't well, have they, that. I think they're changing the policy because they realize how stupid yeah. it was. Yeah. And no kidding. The old phones with it. They're going to go back to the old phones and change those so they do it. So. Oh, good. Yeah. That's why I always buy just the vanilla Google phone. I, I really hate the what the – actually, more than what the carriers do, I actually hate what the manufacturers do. The, the UI they put – especially Samsung's. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the Samsung uh, stuff. And, and one of the things I do is, and one of the nice things about Android is you can, um, you know, put, add, you can download and install your own, um, you know, launcher. Right. And so I, I usually do ADW Launcher or Launcher Pro, and uh, you get a, a much nicer experience, much cleaner. I love than, Launcher Pro. I haven't used ADW, but so you... you they're, they're similar. Okay. Um, uh, you know, they, they, uh, they're not interchangeable, but um, they're both really nice. Anything's and, uh, better than TouchWiz. Yeah, the TouchWiz 4.0 is nicer than TouchWiz 3.0, I'll tell you that. Which is TouchWiz 3.0 is on the Infuse, and TouchWiz 4.0, I think, is on the Galaxy S2, which uh, just came out in Europe. So is this new uh, phone the, your phone of choice right now? Peter, what do you think of it? So I've been using this. Um, you know, I've been... Uh, the battery life has been really uh, inconsistent for me. Some days it's really good, and some days it's not good. And, and, it, and it isn't... You know, I tend to use the phone the same way each day, so I'm well, trying that's to figure weird. out what the issue is. Yeah. But it's so light, given the size. It it's looked so really thin. thin when Dwight was holding it up. It looked really it's very thin. thin. It's yeah. very thin. Yeah. And, you know, it's like I have the Dell Streak, the 5-inch Streak. Yeah. And it's like totally, it's so different. Um, the Streak, you're like, oh, this is big, and it just a little, it just feels like too big to be a phone. But the Infuse, I mean, it fits in your pocket really well. Typing on it is really nice because the screen is so big. I put it next to somebody's iPhone the other day, and the iPhone honestly looks like a kid's toy. It's dinky. Next, like I think Apple is going to have to come out with a bigger screen. I think this is the pushing iPhone. them that way, isn't it? Yeah. Because 3.5 inches is just too small. Like I can't type on 3.5 inches, especially when you get used to typing on 4.5. The iPhone seems small. It's funny though. It's like these phones are swelling a uh, little bit by a time until somebody says, "Okay, stop." <laughs> That, I, that I was too big, too big. Oh, back, back, back. 4.5 is the max, I think. We now so, know. You know what? Yeah. I think Acer is doing a 4.7-inch phone. Well, that's so we'll it. we'll see how that goes. We'll see, right? Yeah. So the and then there's the Palm Veer. Yeah, and finally we see an HPOS. Now, uh, anybody have a Palm well, Veer? A tiny little phone. Yeah. Peter, you got one? I played with it, but I don't have one. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the Pre-3, though. When's the Pre-3 coming out? I think in June. Soon? It's just, you know, I have to say for years I really resisted covering cell phones because I thought this is too gadgety. These aren't I'm a I am a tech journalist. <laughs> I cover I cover computers. And you know, but the thing is everybody a cell phone was something always that you could talk about. In fact, it was one of those things it it was you know, normally you walk around in, in the real world, people don't talk about tech. Only geeks like us talk about tech. But there but when you go like into a radio station sales department. The one thing that we could talk about besides basketball games was your cell phone. What do you got? Well, I'll tell you, I get this. And this was even before smartphones. Now that these things are, are actually computers, I'm much happier covering them. There's something to talk about. 
and it has exploded. I mean, who cares about computers anymore? Well, it, you know, you said 200 million downloads there of Angry you go. Birds. I mean, that tells you I something. I think it'll be the point where there'll be as many you know, phones approaching the number of people, and it'll certainly be more than the number of computers. So uh, the, it's, it's a, it's the, is it the Samsung? It is the Samsung Super AMOLED. Yeah, that's the one, yeah. And yeah. Uh, a full suite of entertainment on the go, including Media Hub. When I see that, why do they even put that in the selling points? I don't want that. What is that's, that? It's crap. That's their yeah, their download service. I just hate it when their they media download service. Yeah, when they you know announce this stuff like you want it. So I'm going to tell you the only thing I don't like about the Infuse is the um, screen resolution, which is wide VGA. Um, and uh, you know you look at like a lot of the phones coming out now, like the Atrix 4G and the HTC Sensation have the the QHD, which is um. So kind what of are the numbers on those? It, do you? It, know? Uh, it's similar. It's like, I wish I could, I should know this by heart. Um, yeah, you, I should too. You and me both. The, uh, the QHD, someone in chat's going to say, oh, 960 by 540. Thank you to everyone in chat. Um, it's QHD. <laughs> and, uh, that's, you know, almost the same as the, um, uh, the iPhone. And so like the HTC, the HTC sensation and the Atrix 4G have that higher resolution display and it looks really nice. The 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 Infuse has that 4.5 inch screen, but it's 800 by 480, and so the, the fonts just don't look as good. Well, it looks like we're gonna go uh, Retina everywhere, right? Was it Samsung that announced this new super high DPI? That was sharp. Toshiba. Sharp Toshiba for the 10 Toshiba, inch, the 10 yeah. inch display. Uh, well, even for smaller ones, right? For but but tablets, what we were seeing like 357 DPI or PPI. Um, and uh, I guess on phones, too. Yeah, we, we will see it eventually. And, and it's going to create challenges for, for you know, people because you're going to have to start creating um, graphics which are not um, well, that's true. You know, pixel dependent. Right. I, and I tell you, this is the thing that kills, unfortunately, that kills the Galaxy uh, Tab because it's a great, I mean, I'm actually in love with this tablet. The hardware is spectacular. But the OS just doesn't, uh, you know, and there's not enough, and there's not enough apps for it. Eight megapixel camera on the uh, Infuse. Good. Is it a good camera? Is it good as the iPhone? It's a uh, decent camera. It doesn't, um, you know, it's it, megapixels isn't necessarily no. what makes a great camera. No, I think the iPhone it, is the gold decent. standard at only five megapixels. There's nothing right. even close, as far as I can tell. The thing, the thing I don't like about it is, you know, it's a, it's a supposedly a higher quality, uh, brighter uh, AMOLED screen, but outside it washes out completely. I yeah. can't even see it outside yeah. bright bright daylight. I'm I'm you know the real thing is I'm not going to buy an AT and T phone. No, I don't care what they make. <laughs> I just I'm I, I'm just done with AT and T. What do you use now? I actually love and I, I know T-Mobile. Good luck, but the, the, uh, well, yeah, <laughs> don't get too attached. No, right? I know, I know. Yeah, the right. G2X though, I really love it. And but as with all these smart uh, Android phones, um, battery life's an issue. Although one thing I know is it's interesting. Uh, the display is not is never anywhere near the. It's very very. It's a, I think it's an IPS uh, LCD display, and it is very low power. Um, and I think that uh, that's interesting. It's always, you know, 5% of the total battery usage compared you to know, any of these Samsung phones where it's almost always 50% is this screen. I mean, it really uses up a lot of screen. So it's a nice screen, but battery life is terrible. So what I bought was an external charger and a second battery. And now I carry, I carry my pocket. <laughs> battery number two. So I get through half the day and I pop it and I put in a new battery. And the reboot's good for it too. 
at least you have the option of putting in another battery, right? Right, right. right. Of course, if I lose it in the cab, I'm dead. You're dead. <laughs> Oh, I'm just stuck with I'm stuck with AT and T because I have a family plan and uh, and you know for me to to jump would be expensive for my whole clan. But I saw the other day that Verizon's talking about doing family data plans. So one of their I think their CFO uh, said it was inevitable. I would like that. Uh, that would, I might jump to Verizon if uh, if that happened. So I actually wrote about this last year and I said that this is something that you have to do. If you're going to have capped data plans, if you're going to give me five gigs a month and not unlimited, then I should be able to use that five gigs across as many devices as I want, whether it's a tablet, phone, whatever. I should be able to, I should have Amen. the option to, to allocate those five gigs across as many devices as I own. So I have to yep. say the uh, HSPA plus on the uh, T-Mobile is, is not bad. Now, do you tell me if these are reasonable numbers, but I'm getting anywhere from three to six megabits per second download and upload is o is always at least 1.2 megabits and often as high as 1.6 megabits. That that's seems pretty good. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. In, that seems good. In, yeah. In Houston on the on the T-Mobile HSPA Plus on some of their phones, I've gotten as high as eight to ten. You know why? No one freaking uses T-Mobile. Houston's a pretty good, pretty big T-Mobile town. Oh, okay. We've got a, you know, his, historically the, the companies that T-Mobile has bought uh, were fairly um, uh, big in Houston. And so it's actually a fairly big town for T-Mobile. What do you use, Kevin? I have a Verizon Droid X. I like the Droid X a lot. But you know that 4.3-inch screen is no longer the... You you got to go to four point five. I, I tend to <laughs> your, just throw I, your phone I tend away. To, it's obsolete. Now. It's obsolete. Invest a lot and run them till they die. Really? Yeah. But, what I this replaced the trio. Oh, you do run them till they die. <laughs> oh wow! A yeah, trio. Last, yeah, I replaced the trio last August. A Verizon Trio seven hundred. I th you know I the, the third person I've talked to in three days it had a trio. Uh, I guess a lot of people kept their trios. They were loyal to their trios. Well, we ran our own exchange system, and so right. we needed to have some devices around when people called and said, I can't, you know, Windows right. Mobile sync is not working. Oh, so we had to man. have some. So it was a job thing. Well, and then you get used to it. You get used to the keyboard. <laughs> I had apps I needed to function on it. And well, let, let's, talk about, it let's talk about the Veer and uh, the, what is it, the WebOS 3. Are these going to... Uh, is can this is this enough to save the webOS? Is HP, which is having some severe problems uh, on the desktop computer side, is this going to be a good thing for HP? Uh, have you played with the Veer or any of these, uh, Peter? Yeah, I've played with them, and um, you know, webOS three. It, first off, webOS was really promising when they first I announced loved it. Web I, think I that, was a fan. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where they've just never really. Um, you know, delivered quite right. yet, but it still feels really promising. And, and um, you know, WebOS seems like a really good user interface for a tablet device. So I, I think a lot of people are looking mm. forward to that. Um, you, you know, HP, uh, you know, just for the same reason that Microsoft might be looking at Nokia, I mean, HP bought Palm for the same reason, which was if mobile is the future of computing, then you need to have a dog in the fight and you need to have um, can more control of your own destiny. And I think that HP saw the success of the iPad and didn't see anything in Microsoft's pipeline and that they, they could right. use as an operating system and said, well, you know what? Screw this. Like we're gonna, you know, we're gonna do for self. I look and, forward um, to the, the, what they do with the tablets. I'd love to see a great tablet. I, I think it's OS. encouraging. That, and, and one of the things that HP needs to do is to realize that 
you have to give people a reason to buy your tablet or you have to price them so aggressively that, right. it, that it's a no-brainer. I mean, if I were HP, I'd be saying buy, a laptop, buy an HP laptop and you get you know, <laughs> Free tablet. A, a you get a touchpad for 100 bucks or 200 bucks. Just get, th get them out there. Yeah. You, you agree. Take yes. a loss. Yes. Very take a, definitely. You know, lose yeah. some money for a few years. Do you, do you, do you use uh, any, uh, does Cornell use any uh, tablets? Is there uh, any interest in that? Students have them. I just you see them around. I see you got oh, a, yeah. your new iPad. Um, see them around quite a quite a bit. The I would I would you know I was thinking what, is it a good choice for a student? It just seems like typing on it, and that's one of the things students do an awful lot of. It just doesn't seem ideal. Uh, for our students, probably not because they're so heavy into spreadsheets and things yeah. like that. Yeah. But but for reading and and other it's great materials, for, great for that and recording. If you get all your books on there and record sh lecture notes. And the books are going to be tough because the publishers seem to be charging the same amount of money for an e-textbook as they do for a physical one. And because yeah, their costs they, really aren't the paper in the. Uh, and in, once once you're done with it, they can take it away, and there's no resale value right. on it. Where you may be able to get twenty five to fifty percent of right. the purchase costs back at the end of the semester for a paper book. Right. So it really hasn't taken off. That's an interesting point. I did see that Amazon is now going to support the EPUB format as well as its Mobi format, which is very good news. It means EPUB. If Amazon does indeed do that, it means EPUB uh, will be completely dominant. And it's a, it's a good standard. It's a standard everybody else uses. But you're still not going to see textbooks on EPUB. Kevin Baradet is here. He's CTO at the Johnson School of Management at Cornell University. Yes. Great to have him. Thank Long time you. Uh, observer and uh, of the of the tech world, going back to Comdex. Yep. What is it? PC Expo. PC you mentioned. Expo. Wow. Tech Expo. Tech Expo. So, what was it like? You know, working with Dvorak on those Comdex awards. It was. It was kind of. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Especially when it would get down to the end, and people would start arguing for their. You know, advocating their. That would be fun. Their choices. Uh, get a little typ heated? Typically, you know, you'd divvy up into teams, and each team would get one of the areas that they're an award is being given right. for. And so your team picked their winner, and then each team then presented to the group as a whole and advocated for, like, a best in, best in show. Right. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, very often, Peter Coffey, you know, Peter Coffey. Peter Coffey. Peter, yeah. would run the judging, and so he would bring in the hair voting system for proportional voting. <laughs> What's was, that? The more hair you have, the bigger your vote? No, it's uh, where you rank. It's ranked voting where you oh, yeah, rank yeah, one yeah, through yeah. ten. So you right. really only need kind of one ballot to rank your winners. Right. So if your primary one doesn't rank, your vote still counts because you, you may right. pick a second one that ends up at the top. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, seeing some of the small companies that started up and their various strategies, guys who would come in and say, we got a neat product. We figure we've got two years before the majors see what we're doing and, you know, when I run think, us out of the business on the cost. So we're going to do what we're going to do. We're going to make as much money as we can. And when the it gets to the mass market, we're going to fold our tent and go on <laughs> to that, our next idea. So they weren't looking to we were build, honest. Yeah, build an empire. When I think of the uh, the tech, tech TV did the best of Comdex awards, or yeah, I think it was best of Comdex a couple of years in a row, three or four years in a row. And I think of the winners, I think, boy, you know, this is not a good system. One year it was the Danger Sidekick. One year it was the Moxie player. Remember the Moxie? This was a com competitor to uh, Replay and TiVo. 
<laughs> no. <laughs> uh, it was Paul Allen's company. Yeah, it was Paul. It was well, it was pre-Paul. Paul Allen buy, buying it, but it was the guy who did uh, Web TV. Um, oh, what's his name? That created Moxie uh, with his Web TV money when Microsoft <laughs> bought it. And uh, yeah, we just—it's so hard to pick something that actually goes on <laughs> and succeeds. Well, you can only. Pick what's from what's in front right. of you and what looks interesting and new and fresh. And That's the problem is you get things, excited about the new and fresh when often the same old, same old is what ends up making well, money. Things, sometimes things take root and other times they just wither or give someone else an idea and gives them the missing piece they need to right. build on top of. We're going to uh, talk more. I've got some uh, big news uh, about, uh, well, you know, it's turning into this week in cell phones. More cell phone news and Android news and more. But it is, after all, that's where everything's happening. Before we get to that, though, I would like to thank our friends at Carbonite for sponsoring Twit. Carbonite is that great backup solution backing up to the cloud. And, uh, you know, any backup solution has got to have a few, in my opinion, a few features absolutely critical. First of all, it's got to be automatic or, you you know, you just won't do it. If it doesn't happen automatically, you're not going to remember Carbonite is always backing up. I really like that. So you're, you know, once you do that initial backup of all your data, and by the way, it is every bit of data on your personal, you know, your personal data on the internal drive at the same price. It's no tears or anything. You don't have to worry, oh, am I backing up too much? $59 a year, less than five bucks a month for everything on your internal drive. Uh, and then uh, once it's backed up, it's just kind of constantly kept backed up every time you're online. I love that. They allow encryption. Of course, it's encrypted 128-bit SSL, so you don't have to worry about being in an open access spot or anything like that. But they allow additional encryption using strong encryption. Only you hold the key, so your data is private. And here's the beauty part of it. Your data is always accessible. It's cloud storage as well as backup. So wherever you are, you don't have to wait for a disaster. You can log into your Carbonite account on any PC or Mac, any iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, Blueberry, Yellowberry. And uh, there's your data. Available to you so you can access it, edit it, download it. If the worst should happen, you lose a hard drive, you lose your computer, your data is still good. And you just get that new computer, log into your Carbonite account, say restore, and it's all there. It's really kind of miraculous. And it is the most affordable, most effective solution out there. Mac or PC, just $59 a year. Somebody did the math. That's 16 cents a day for peace of mind, for sleeping well. You try it for free for the next two weeks. Go to Carbonite.com, use the offer code TWIT. And uh, if you decide to keep it, you can sign up for the 12-month uh, subscription and get 14 months when you use the offer code TWIT. Two months free. Carbonite, C-A-R-B-O-N-I-T-E.com. you got to back it up to get it back, so do it right. Do they, Carbonite. Do they have an app for phones? You know, they should. They don't. Somebody was asking on the, in the, uh, on the radio show this uh, week, actually, about backing up his phone. If it said iPhone, that's automatic, right? Yeah. Android phones, a little more tricky. You might have to get a, an app if you want to do more than just what Google allows. Um, that's a good idea, though. They should probably do that. Why, well, did you lose your phone? No, but it might be useful with the outages and some of the cloud services that have been seen recently. Be might be nice to have it backed up in more than one location. Good point. Good point. Good point. Um... This is a little bit scary for those of us who use Android phones. Ninety-seven uh, percent, something like that, of Android phones are vulnerable to leaking data. With the uh, release of Android 2.34, Google patched that security hole, but so many phones are not upgraded. It means that millions of phones are 
our, our yeah, Kevin's pulling his hat and looking at it. No, I can tell you right now, it ain't two, three, four. It doesn't have two, three. Yeah. I'm, we'll see. Um, unless you rooted it. No. Um, it, it is a fire sheep-like sidejacking exploit. It steals uh, an authentication cookie, so it allows somebody to uh, basically log in as you without having your password. Are you all right? Verizon says I'm up to date. Yeah, right. Of course, Verizon wouldn't. <laughs> up to date with what? That's the problem, you know, yeah. is that they, two, three, four, Google releases it, but does Verizon put it out? We not no, know. It, it takes takes quite Forever. a while. If you get on Google's site and read right. through Google, like, we fixed that months ago. Go talk to your carrier. Right. Um, well, and, and also Google has fixed this uh, in a kind of a smart way. They've patched it on the server side so the connection is forced to be secure oh. on the server side. Rather than force, rather than pushing down, you know, an update and forcing the carriers to do it, they just fixed it on their servers. So at this point, well, I they're think lucky that uh, they can do that. Yes. Um, so, so you don't have to worry then. Because uh, the logins now are SSL. Still, that's the kind of news that Facebook paid first and Marstall are a lot of money to spread. Well, <laughs> that's not necessarily true. When it was uh, at RSA, one of the things they were talking about is in Eastern Europe, some of the uh, criminal enterprises has infiltrated some of the uh, cell phone companies, and so they what. They're putting the bad up guys rogue, run the phone company? No, but they put up rogue cell sites and grab the traffic and then pass it on to the real site. Oh, and so they have the potential to look at what you're doing. Do you they, mean rogue towers? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've, wow. I've heard about this, but I've, I've never heard about it actually ever happening. Yeah. It's theoretical more than... I think it's more of a... I mean, it's possible and you just don't know, but... Um, it's like a, never when they put out those uh, fake ATM machines to get you to... Yeah. Yeah. Swipe your. There was one of those a few blocks from my house, actually. Really? Yeah. How long was it, it there? Did they did they say? It wasn't that. I mean, I, I found out about it because it was somebody on a local blog kind of was posting photos of it, and you know, it got taken away. But um, it looked like, I mean, it, you know, I mean, it looked kind of fishy. But it, you know, if you're just like drunk and if you're you know, drunk, it's two in the out, morning. You know, like <laughs> you're gonna pop your card in, and then like it's not gonna work. And then you're just going to go find another ATM. I guess it's out, out of money. I, I'll go down the road. Uh, Netflix in the news. Netflix, uh, according to TechCrunch, although there may be some disputing of this, is now the single largest source of Internet traffic in North America. 29.7% of peak downstream traffic up from 21% last fall. It's the success of Netflix streaming, obviously. Do you do you block that on your network, Kevin? To get to Johnson? No. You allow no. people to watch Netflix? Um, sure. It's <laughs> the purpose of of a you know research entity. Thank you. It's the purpose of the internet. Correct. That's right. I might need to watch. I don't know. Michael Douglas in Wall Street to learn. Sure. From the best. I mean, there are certain networks that do are filtered because of production right. systems and uh, things like that. But for the most part, it's controlled through. You know, education for the students. And this this story comes from Sandvine, which monitors uh, internet traffic. Um, Sandvine says that uh, HTTP traffic eighteen percent, BitTorrent traffic eleven percent, YouTube ten percent. This is during peak hours. Netflix twenty nine point seven percent. 
Wow. We're watching, and no wonder there's bandwidth caps from AT&T and Comcast. We're watching a lot of video. This, this red bar here on the right is real-time entertainment streaming video. The green one, peer-to-peer -peer file sharing. God, it's kind of, who, a lot of people doing this, I guess. Web browsing, number three. Uh, then real-time communications, I guess, IM. Not chat. Bulk entertainment, which is, I guess, downloads 2.8%. That's us. We're the pink, pink thing there. It would be interesting to see those numbers instead of just raw traffic uh, uh, transactionally. In other words, I'd like to see how many HTTP connections are made versus how many peer-to-peer -peer connections are made versus how many people are actually grabbing Netflix content. And I think that might be an even more interesting chart. Do you think it's a, how long before there's a backlash among Internet service providers? Or will they just finally say, well, this is what you want? This is how we. This is what you're paying for. Oh, I don't think it's a backlash. I think it's going to be uh, profitable for them. I think you'll it'll end up being you'll end up being tiered because of it, and people who do more um, video are going to end up paying more, and that'll help pay for the infrastructure. I think that's ultimately where things are going. All of the all the ISPs have said that they're looking at that heavily, and and usually when they say they're looking at a way to make more money, they're not kidding. Miramax just signed a deal with Netflix to put its movies on their Netflix uh, streaming. Um, according to Stacy Kramer running and paidcontent.org, could be a $100 million deal to the studio. Netflix is obviously doing well. They're buying content like crazy. They're saying, we're going we're gonna to salvage shows that are dying. Pretty impressive. Well, they're trying to lock this stuff up because they know, I mean, they're, they're going to see some real serious competition sooner or later. From whom? And, uh, Amazon? It might be from Amazon. I've heard Microsoft is planning something. I think that the studios Apple? are, uh, you know, Apple perhaps. Uh, I think the studios are recognizing that if they don't want to have one dominant player, right. uh, you know, have so much um, control over the market because then they're going to start to have, you know, to be able to set their own price. Is and the studios the want to be able, it's just the studios want to be able to, um, you know, play a bunch of different players off of each other. Isn't isn't the truth? Isn't the, uh, the key word of the internet disintermediation, eliminating the middleman? And doesn't it make sense that the studios, like musicians before them and uh, and podcasters, uh, are just going to go straight to their customers? What do they need uh, HBO for? What do they need a cable company for? Why don't they just go direct to their customers? What do they need Apple or Amazon for? Well, they don't control the final distribution pipe to the to the but customer the internet is the final distribution pipe you know it's about discoverability and about getting paid i mean people you know the reason why netflix works is because you pay eight bucks a month or whatever it is for monthly streaming and it's you know and you, you have that service um and it's one application that you can use across lots and lots of different devices you don't want to be a situation where i have to go and and you know use some each you know filmmakers or studios app to be able to, to watch the movie I want to watch. You want you want a single point. You could look at the Comcast Universal merger as a lot of that uh, being involved. Yeah, I think yeah because they have already um, indicated they want to do things with um, uh, with apps and with streaming, and I think you're going to see other companies probably make a a play for an internet service provider as well. Interesting, really good article that I recommend from IT World. 
Kevin Fogarty uh, writing in here, talking about whether uh, Netflix is swamping the Internet. ISPs, of course, state that they are highly congested because of all these people watching things like Netflix. That's why AT&T has 150 gigabyte a month cap on its DSL, 250 on its uh, universe. Um, it's why Comcast has a 250 gigabyte a month cap. It turns out, according to this, because of the way Netflix does it, Netflix um, content is cached, distributed and cached ahead of time. So, in fact, it doesn't hit the ISPs anywhere near that much. It turns out Netflix, according to Sandvine, same people who did this original report, Netflix users take up an average of 40 gigabytes a month from streaming media. Um, twice that amount of bandwidth used for streaming data to an Xbox or a game console. So the problem is that if you, if you are watching, I don't know why it's more on an Xbox. Maybe it's higher quality. If you're watching on an Xbox, you could be using 80 gigabytes a month for your movies out of the 150 gigabyte cap. Well, I mean, the ISPs have an incentive here, right? Because they want to be able to say, we're getting, we're getting slammed. Our users are using right. so much bandwidth. We have to charge more. We have to offer tiers. We have to start, you know, instituting caps and, and things like that. Um, you know, when there is an argument that, yeah, you guys just be, need to be managing your networks better. Your, it eats up the bandwidth quickly, but your ISP will be there to make sure you don't go over. You pay $10 for every 50 gigabytes you go over the limit every month. That's the cost of allowing the FCC to avoid limiting the price gouging plans ISPs impose on consumers and small businesses. Rather than seeing, th rather than seeing through the smoke and realizing it's not compensating for Netflix that is taking up most of the carrier's R&D and network upgrade work. Basically, it's saying something I've said a long time, which is it doesn't cost the uh, ISPs that much. They're using it as an excuse. It's a little complicated. I'm not an IT guy. If you're an IT guy, read the article and you can tell me what it means because I don't understand it. It sounds like he's saying conflicting things here. Uh, let's see here. The playbook. Uh, Anybody excited about that at all? BlackBerry Playbook sales missed targets by over 90%. Now, Rim is saying that's, that story is nonsense. Okay. So, But uh, how many are they selling, really? You know, I don't know. I, I think that they said that they were going to announce numbers really soon. Oh, good. Um, I don't hmm. know if they're going to, you know, blow out the doors or anything with the sales. But, um, you know, I... Even though there isn't a lot of like overt enthusiasm, um, I see a lot of people on our site on Gadget, um, you know, who are enthusiastic about it. And there are definitely like a, a you know, uh, people who are really, really passionate about BlackBerry who are waiting to buy a playbook. Right. So I'm not sure how, you know, I'm not sure it's a huge number, but it definitely has a, a core, you know, group of people that are passionate about it. And I have to apologize because I got an email and I, uh, I, I made a mistake. Apparently. You know, I was when I was running a program and I would launch another program, it looked like it froze the original program. And I was saying, well, that's kind of not real multitasking. It's pseudo multitasking. Somebody sent me an email saying that's a setting in the settings. If you are willing to kill your battery, you can have true multitasking where this this will continue when the next yeah. program runs. But it's off by default because, of course, <laughs> why would you want that? <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, yes, OK, it can do it. But why would you want that? You know, 
I mean, we could talk about some of the problems with RIM for another hour. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I think one of the biggest issues I have with the, the, the playbook is that, um, first off, it shouldn't be called the playbook. I think that... It's a business you know, book, supposedly. The workbook or something workbook, like that. I mean, yeah. RIM keeps saying it. this is the first enterprise class right. tablet. Yeah, but... Okay, fine. Don't call it the playbook. Right. I mean, I think there's actually uh, something, you know, I think there's actually an opportunity to, you know, kind of market an enterprise class, you know, super secure tablet. Um, but I think that RIM just is trying to have it both ways. And I, and I think that it's, um, uh, you know, kind of mudding the waters. It's kind of confusing people. I, I, I do like the, the form factor. I like how well the QNX operating system responds. It feels very fluid. It's a nice interface. It's it's very WebOS like. Yeah, and I actually, Peter, I think the the name playbook. I think there it's a double entendre. Playbook also implies strategy, and um, ah. the idea that you know that he okay, you can do your plans on this. You can build your playbook, and uh, uh, and so I think that that they're they're trying to imply that you can use it both for entertainment and for uh, and for work. It's, yeah, it's but another think, one of those frustrating mistake, things, though. like the, you know. I think that think they shouldn't be mistake? emphasizing the entertainment gaming elements. I, I mean, I, I think that they should make a case for it specifically as an enterprise device, and I think that they're not doing a good enough job of that. Right. Yeah. It's I, a, I didn't mean to, to cut you off, Joy. Well, I think it it reminds me a lot of the Zoom in that it's in that it's fairly unfinished. Right. Um, and there's no and email. It's app. frustrating on all of these tablets, even the. Um, the honeycomb tablets and even after the 3.1 update on the zoom they all feel unfinished to me they all feel like there's something not, not there that i wish was there and um compared uh, you know, to the ipad compared to the ipad which right. is you know apple hit it out of the park you know with the first version and these guys are still struggling trying to figure out who they want to be and they're not they're not doing it for me yet, right. but all of them have potential. I'm really interested in the WebOS tablet. I think, um, you know, if HP does it right and can market it half decently, which is a question with HP, um, I think it has a lot of potential. But it will could just be another tablet with potential, you know? NVIDIA's CEO is very excited. You know, most of these, uh, the Zoom and the, this uh, Galaxy tablet have the Tegra 2 uh, chipset in it from uh, NVIDIA. Um, he says uh, that the next generation tablets are going to be fix all these problems. He said Nvidia is working with Google on ice cream sandwich. Um, in fact, there's a quad. I didn't know this is a quad core uh, Tegra called Kalel. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, you know, I love this tablet. I just, this software is not really very mature. It's little things like this. And somebody told me it doesn't happen on theirs, but watch when I rotate. Maybe it's because I have all these widgets. <laughs> it takes forever and then it has to rebuild the screen. Yeah, it's just a little. That's clean. I mean, it's too slow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, my, uh, I've, I don't have any Android tab uh, tablets at the moment, but uh, our Honeycomb tablets at the moment, but I, I did uh, review a couple of them and uh, the rotation was definitely not that slow for me. Okay, so maybe I'm doing. So. I'm I'm holding it wrong. But it, but it, it, but the thing is, it shouldn't be that slow, even if you do those things. So I think that's one right. of the the. I mean, Honeycomb was rushed. I don't think anyone would dispute that. I don't think Google would dispute that. It came out too quickly um, because they felt the pressure from the iPad, and um, you know it's something that they're gonna they're gonna fix in post, so to speak.
But you've, Kevin, uh, you've seen this all before at all these CESs and Comdexes. This is clearly a category that is not a flash in the pan, or is it? I, I don't think so. I think this rim is probably trying to retain the loyalty <laughs> of the uh, the BlackBerry of the BlackBerry crowd and yeah. STEM defections, right. and it's all these folks are looking like they're doing the ready fire aim right kind of strategy. That's exactly <laughs> right. I'd say yeah. That, yep. They can't afford to let Apple's gap get any larger, so they're trying to get something out the door. Figuring we'll we'll fix it as quick as we can, so we don't fall further behind. Uh, let's see what else. What other big story? Am I missing something, uh, guys? Is there a big story? It feels kind of like a uh, a little bit of a slow week. We led There's with the Apple stories, story. huh? A lot, a lot of little stories, but nothing, uh, nothing. Really monstrously major, I think, yeah. jumps out. The one about the story about um, Zuckerberg saying kids under 13 should be allowed on yeah. Facebook. We want to make a Facebook for kids. Yeah. That's just like. He's the know, new. What could, he, he's taking the, the Eric Schmidt Slime Award for the, for the weird, the creepiest CEO uh, for, you know, the last six months. Well, there's already enough creepy stuff involving kids on right. Facebook now. We know a huge number of a bad idea. A huge number of under 13-year-olds do use Facebook. Right. And then right. there was the woman who reported that her daughter when she signed up for Neopets many years ago gave a fake last name and now that her daughter's turned 18 she's receiving credit card solicitations at that on that name with that fake name and That's interesting. And she yeah. went to Neopets and said are you selling the information of these children Obviously. once they become of age and they haven't really said Obviously. anything? You know, that, that's interesting. My daughter was a huge into Neopets. Um, I'll have to look and see what kind of mail she's getting. She definitely used Neopets like crazy. Uh, it's the, uh, it's the um, federal government that prevents or, or restricts the kinds of information sites can gather about kids under 13. Uh, so Facebook, in order to do this, would have to have some sort of special dispensation from parents or that kind of thing. But you got to figure, there's so many sub-13-year-olds using Facebook. It's just, a, you know, that I can't really blame Mark for that. He sees a big market. Is it really creepy, Dwight? Oh, I think so. I mean, if you, you know, I think my kids are a lot older than that now, but the idea of um, my kids say it. 10, 9, 10, or 11 Ooh, uh, with free reign of a site like, yeah. like Facebook. Now, you know, you could provide uh, parental controls and, you know, give people the ability to kind of have control of what their kids do, but you can't control what other people do. Right. And that's kind of the problem. It's by definition social, and you have to, you have to worry about what other people are doing on it, not just what your kids are doing. I love the... Um Actually, we'll take a break and come back, but I'm going <clears> to <throat> talk a little bit about, actually, this is a fairly big story. <clears throat> LinkedIn's IPO was this week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, they they thought that the uh, IPO would go at about $45. That was what they priced the shares at. Uh, by the end of the day, they were twice that. And a very interesting opinion piece in uh, uh, the New York Times by Jonas Sarah, in which he, he says, the bankers scammed LinkedIn. And it happens all the time, and I'm very curious what you guys uh, think about this. But we'll talk about it in just a second. Before we do, though, I'd like to say hello to our friends at Citrix, makers of the great go-to-assist if you're in the support business. I know a lot of you is. A lot of you has got to get uh, get on the phone there and tell uh, if it's not family and friends, colleagues, clients, or maybe you're actually an IT or software support person. 
how to fix something and walk them through it on the phone. You don't have to do that, I, I would hope, Kevin. Oh. I, yes, we do, and uh, oh. especially helping out mom. Mom. Mom's always fun. That's where Go to Assist Express is so cool. Not just for moms, but for anybody where you want to just, I, if I could just, just let me at your computer, I could fix it. A lot of times your clients uh, or your support uh, supportees aren't nearby. Maybe they're down the hall, across town, or even across the world. With Go to Assist Express, you log in to their computer and fix it yourself. Now, I know there are many choices to do this, but there, this is the one that you want to take a look at. You can try it free for 30 days. I'll tell you how in a second. Uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's Citrix, so you know it's 128-bit SSL, 24-7 support for you, uh, and, and the fastest back end. I mean, they really know remote access. It's also very easy for your customers because uh, all you have to do is send them uh, a link. They click it. They always have to download the GoToAssist software, and that's to keep it always fresh, always up to date. They, 30 seconds later, though, they're ready to go, and you're fixing their system. There's chat. You can do eight sessions at once. You can do unattended sessions if your clients allow you. That's nice. You don't have to wait till they're there. You can find out what operating system they're running, what software is running in the background. There's so many nice features for anybody who's doing support remotely. I want you to try it free for 30 days. They have day passes, too, for those, those of us like you who have to fix mom's computer from time to time. Visit go to, I use this with my mom. It's great. Go to assist.com slash twit. That's the website. Go to assist.com slash twit and uh, sign up for the 30-day free trial. If you've got a bunch of people, you know what you do? You wait until you've got a bunch of people who need support. You queue them all up. Then you, get the then you trigger the free trial, and you've got 30 days to fix it all. The clock is ticking. It's a new game show. 30 days to fix it. Go to assist.com slash twit. We thank them for their support. So Thursday, LinkedIn. First of all, uh, is LinkedIn a good investment? Dwight? Boy, you know, I don't know. I'm so traumatized from pre-2000 <laughs> and the, the dot-com. There's no question I, we're in a bubble. The I only would, difference is it's not a stock market bubble. We're definitely in a bubble. $8.5 yeah, for Skype? I, I'm too conservative. I would not invest in LinkedIn. but <laughs> um, and, and mainly because I, I probably would be holding out for Facebook. Um, yeah, that's going to be the big see, one. I just don't see LinkedIn being that compelling. And I think there's a lot of pinup demand for people wanting to invest in social media, which is why I think the um, uh, it was just a, you know, a sexy stock at the moment, which is one of the reasons why it came in so hard. What do you think? LinkedIn stock in your future, Peter Rojas? You know what? I'm the world's worst stock picker. No, I'm worse. <laughs> I'm worse. <laughs> I do not... I have like a, I just let my guy just handle all that stuff, um, and I just every time I like the few times that I've picked stocks, I've always yeah. lost money. You can't. So it's like it's like you know horse what? races. And it's like you can't even like I can't even be like I can't even second guess. I can be like, well, like my gut instinct says to buy, so maybe it should have said that I don't buy. But no. then maybe it's you know it's like <laughs> no, I just just stay away. Let let the experts let the pros handle it. They don't you know, even do, do that, that well. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm doing all right, but I mean, I definitely, uh, um, you know, definitely made some uh, some bad decisions in 1.0. I so. think you, I think you hit the nail on the head, Dwight. I think that people can't buy Facebook, so they're casting around for what well, what's the most Facebook-like thing out there. I want to buy that. And I think I think LinkedIn is a success. You know, I think it's, oh, yeah. it's heavily used by business. It's kind of the uh, it's it's become the social resume for people, and um, and I think it's a it's a big deal. But I just I don't think necessarily that it's not Facebook. 
And, uh, and I think that that's what people are waiting for. You know, talking about stock picking, I bought Apple when it IPO'd. This was back before I covered tech. And a few years later, I thought it was such a stinky stock, I sold it. So and you were right a few years later. I was, <laughs> just after it, it yeah. came out. But I wish I had held on to it now. Well, who but that's the part. That's exactly yeah. the point. How the hell can you tell? Right. I had a right. friend whose father is a professional gambler and uh, primarily horses. And he told me one time, you're never going to beat me. At this game, so why because, bother? Because I'm at the track every day. Yeah. I know the horses. I know the right. people, and it's the same way with I think with the professional. Um, Although you professional have to, investors, if they you have look information. At, you if don't. you look at professionally managed funds, they don't do that well. No. They often don't do as well as the market as a whole. So here's some numbers. This is from Joe Nocera's column. First of all, uh, 16 million in profit last year. 16 million in profit. So it's not a hugely profitable company. Um, the they, they hired Morgan Stanley and the bank and the Bank of America's Merrill Lynch division to manage the IPO. That's what you do. You, get, you got, hire the bankers. They're the underwriters. They have to do that. They decide, they gauge the market and decide on the price. They decided that the, that the LinkedIn IPO initial shares would be valued at $45. At that point, they get a chunk of it to sell to their inside, you know, in-house investors. They're big, they're big, uh, big fish. However, you, unless you're one of those big fish, you ain't going to get it for $45 because when the stock market opened, it was already at $84 or $83 a share. Um, so LinkedIn only gets the $45 a share. They sold 7.84 million shares, raised $352 million for the company. So the company's happy. Bankers get 7% of the deal as their fee. Um the opening price, not $45, $83. By the time uh, the clock struck noon, the stock was $120 a share, then settled down to $94.25 at the market close. That's 110% gain on the first day. But here's Joe's point. Um, he said, suppose your trusted real estate agent persuaded you to sell your house for a million dollars, which is basically what these bankers did. They said, 45 bucks. The next day, they turn around and sold the same house to a new owner for $2 million. Basically, uh, this is what Henry Blodgett says Marilyn Morgan did to LinkedIn. They convinced LinkedIn to sell all their stock at $45. And they were getting $84 when the market opened and, is, and $94 by the time the market closed. He says it's bad behavior. LinkedIn, uh, of course, gets enough money that they probably don't complain but i have to say that is kind of slimy didn't google when they went public try to do something to get around they did this? a dutch auction auction, dutch auction. Yeah. um bill hambrecht thought that up and that was very clever and it did avoid that yeah i'm surprised that linkedin didn't do something similar um by, by the same token i mean i don't think they necessarily expected it or even the bankers expected it to pop as much as it did um and they did raise the i do believe they raised the price uh, they did. I mean, it was lower. It was, uh, Forty-five dollars was. Yeah, they raised it a couple yeah. of times. I yeah. mean, I don't know if they. How how well can you gauge what it's gonna, when it's gonna go to? You can't. So it's kind of an educated guess. Yeah. And if they had priced it at, if they had priced it at eighty-three dollars, would it have hit at a um, hundred or one hundred twenty dollars right. to start? You right. know. Is it guaranteed to pop higher than what you do just because there hasn't been a tech IPO like this in a long time? Right. Yeah. So LinkedIn, this company that made $16 million last year, has a $7.9 billion market cap. 
<laughs> and are we in a bubble? I think we are. <laughs> I think we are. Uh, the like button, as long as we're talking creepy. Uh, now, this is Wall Street Journal, and I know Wall Street Journal has kind of got a hair trigger on uh, privacy. But they say that the like button and, and Twitter's tweet button allows sites to basically follow you around the web. Facebook's buttons appear, and I just put a, I'm curious about this because I just put a like button on my blog. Facebook's buttons appear in about a third of the words thousand, the world's thousand most visited websites. I'm sure Gadget uses a like button, right? Uh, yeah, we'll be bringing back in the Facebook uh, stuff. You, you'd uh, be soon. crazy not to. It drives a ton yeah. of traffic. You know, I mean, is this surprising anyone that, uh, you know, if, if a website, anytime a website has um, any sort of JavaScript, you know, embedded on another site, they're basically tracking you because so, they can see what's you know being called. And with Facebook, well, but Facebook identity, is tracking you because they basically have an asset on all those pages. So yeah, if you've exactly. logged into Facebook anytime in the last month, and you continue to browse, even if you don't press the like button, Facebook knows what pages you visited because it's getting its little servlet yep. saying, "Oh, Leo just visited GDGT." And so Facebook is essentially tracking you with a like button as long as you remain logged in. If you log out of Facebook, you're okay. Right, and logging out is your is your solution, I think. That's your relief. Is you If you don't want them tracking you, then when you're done with your session at Facebook, log out, which a lot of people don't do. Nobody does. Because, I do. Right, because it's convenient. You do that, Kevin? Yeah, clear, clear the cookies, run no script. Wow. Maybe I logged I, out so forever a year you know, ago. If, so. if, yeah, you're smart, and I wish I could do that. You know, uh, you know what? I have never no regrets. regretted doing no. that. So. No, no regrets. In fact, every time I go to Facebook, and I do every day, I think this, I, there's nothing here for me. Yeah, I'm seeing these updates from my friends, but I'm bored. There's not, it's not very compelling. I think maybe I should start playing Farmville. I don't know. Yeah, I don't like Facebook, but I'm there because I you have want to, to spy be. on my kids, and it's also <laughs> part of my job, you know. And, but I would think if I, you know, if I didn't, uh, if my kids weren't on it, and um, and I didn't have to do it for work, I probably would not be there. Facebook says, uh, as does Twitter, as does Google, we don't, we don't use that browsing data. <laughs> but, uh, I don't well, that. if you're not paying for it, you're you're not the customer; you're the product being sold. Well, we're the product being sold then. Yeah, and you're browsing and the like buttons. Is we're not Facebook customers. We are its asset. Correct. Well, that's true, though, of people listening to this show. Those not be too quick to tire them with that brush. Well, you're, <laughs> you do if it. If you're not paying for Twit, you're an asset. But you're not selling your I'm not selling demographic data. No, I am not. I am not. I don't have it. Right. But Facebook does. Correct. It, it has proved useful. I'm helping to put together a, uh, a reunion coming up in a couple of weeks. And Facebook's it was, great for that. And it was a good place to tr chase people down. But it was interesting. Once we had everybody, everything shifted into uh, an email list and circulated. So none of the stuff that's been going back and forth with updates on people has been flowing through Facebook. I find it really hard to believe that Facebook's not using this stuff. So think about it. I mean, Facebook, you voluntarily, you create a Facebook page, you voluntarily give it a huge amount of information about you, not just your age, but, I mean, just a ton, your social graph, all sorts of information about you. Now they know that, and every time you visit a page with a like button, 
They know you visited that page. It seems like they're aggregating a huge amount of valuable data. Why would they not use that? Well, the data you put in might not be true. Oh. So that's your advice? Lie? <laughs> well, it depends. It's your your choice. But you I know, see. a lot of companies a lot of companies collect a lot a lot of data and then don't do either they don't have the mechanism to use it or it may cost them more to use it than to than uh, than to leave it alone for now. But certainly in the future, Facebook could always come back uh, and take that data, and it would be at that point historical data. Uh, as well as current, and it would be even more valuable. So the fact that they're not doing it now doesn't mean they won't do it in the future, right? Ken from Chicago tells me that it's a violation of Facebook's terms of service to lie. Do not lie to them. <laughs> do, do not lie, do not to, lie to Mark Zuckerberg. Do not lie to them. Presum Twitter says we don't keep those. Th our cookies expire very quickly. I don't know about that. Um... Big explosion at Foxconn, the Foxconn uh, plant. This is where everything is made. Huge. I mean, everything is made, um, including all the Apple uh, stuff. Um, let's see. I'm just looking at this story a couple of days ago. Uh, the, the fire, the explosion was due to a special dust which is used to clean the screens of the iPad. It's a flammable dust, and someone was smoking. The, the explosion occurred in a polishing plant. Oh, the humanity. All, the, all those iPads lost. It's the production line of the iPad 2. Um, unclear what the impact will be on Apple, but there's already shortages of iPad 2, so get ready. There might be more. Yeah, there were people online picking up the chits uh, yesterday morning Now's the from time. Europe. Yeah. And they were buying AT&T and Verizon ones just to have just one, to get even them. though they knew they wouldn't be able to use that part of it. Right. Desperate, desperate to get them. They were you know, definitely making sure that these people knew they were buying something they couldn't use, and they really didn't care. So, by the way, uh, those of you who feel that Sony's troubles are over, a... Uh, Oh, yeah, people were killed. I'm sorry, in the Foxconn plant, three people were, have died mm -hmm. so far, so I apologize for not for implying that all we lost was, was iPads. Uh, it is, it, obviously, it's a tragic uh, accident. Sony, uh, speaking of tragedy and accidents, uh, apparently somebody's put a phishing site on one of Sony's servers out of Thailand. So then this has nothing to do with the PSN hack. They just, they've been hacked again. I don't know. It's they just, should I, put somebody new in charge of their security. <laughs> kick them when they're Howard down. Stringer said that the called the original hack and the problem with the network being down for a month a hiccup, and said <laughs> yeah. that no no network is secure and yeah. um, you know yeah so and they're still not back up in Japan right Japan hasn't certified uh, PSN to come that's back right up, they were right? the Japan took it very seriously yeah. Uh, let's see. I guess that's, uh, I can't think of anything else. Uh, chat room, you got anything else we should talk about or should I just wrap it up? I want to thank Kevin Baradet for joining us. He's at the Johnson School of Management at Cornell University. Came here for the sunshine. To get... We've had sun recently. <laughs> oh, okay, good. The rain has stopped. <laughs> thank goodness. Although there were ducks swimming in the drainage ditch in front of my house when I left. <laughs> Kevin sent me an email, said I want to be on Twitter. I said, come on down. It's a great <laughs> having you. Thanks for joining us. We You're appreciate welcome. it. Uh, also here, the great Peter Rojas, immortal legend of gadget fame, GDGT.com.
we just relaunched, so people got to check it out. It's a uh, best place to ask and answer questions about gadgets on the web. So is that so? You're now like the Quora for gadgets. Yeah, well, I think uh, Quora is a gadget for uh, Silicon Valley stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Much that's more we, appropriate. Yeah, that's how we talk about it. GD, that's what we say. Yeah, I know. You know, I know it's because I've been getting uh, like questions. Oops, let me put the screen up. <laughs> I've, I've been quick. I've been getting questions uh, in my email. You know, Ryan Block wants to know how come the HDMI does Netflix doesn't support HDMI on the iPad too? Things like that. This is cool. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's it we we created something that we think um, you know makes it kind of fun to ask and answer questions about this stuff, and um, we did some really interesting stuff on the the UI that no one is really doing. That it's kind of hard to explain without you know being able to show it. But um, well, you know, should I show I it? Yeah, if you if you if you log in, you'll let me, be able let to me see log it. in. Yeah, I don't know why I wasn't logged in. It's just this machine. I use it. I use it all the time. Of course. Yeah, of course I do. Let me connect with Facebook because uh, I think they don't know enough about you me. You know, yet. I'm not sure that might not be working right now. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> then uh, welcome back, Leo. But okay. I need to, it does work. Congratulations. Okay, good. I just need to get my, uh, my, uh, pa remember my password. Don't you hate that? I don't know why LastPass isn't running on this machine. I never enter passwords anymore. Oh, good. Look, <laughs> I like this. Success equals true. I think that that means it's not working. Huh, oh, uh, okay. I don't know why it says that. So let me let me back out and go back to the front page. Peter, I haven't been on since the since the redesign, but I come in here and I've got all these people who are on Twitter who I follow, and they all are saying some really smart people use gadget. Here are a few you may want to follow. These are all people I follow on Twitter. Are you tracking me, Peter? Hey, tw what's going on there? <laughs> what's going yeah, on? The funny thing is, like, we um, we just created a suggested users list, and uh, there's probably just a lot of overlap there. Hey, you know, this yeah. is great. I it's uh, this is really nice. It's very different. So, yeah. so now, are, is this kind of a pivot, though? I mean, in the past, what what I would do is I'd list all the gadgets that I owned uh, or wanted. You know, and uh, and uh, that was kind of the focus of it. Then you you added news, so these are all the gadgets I own. They're on, on my on my gadget page. Um, so you know, Q and A was always a big part of the site, and it was actually when we looked at the user data, the thing that people were kind of using the most. Ah. Uh, and then um, and then what we did was we sort of just pulled away stuff like that. You know, people weren't really um, you know using as much, and decided to focus on the Q and A part of this the is site. Nice. So, yeah, so if you go to the, the home page, okay. um, maybe it should come up. I'm clicking I want to show you. the home page. Here's the video. Okay, so first, there's like a video of Veronica, which you can watch. Probably oh. just skip that. No, I, uh, I like it Veronica. It takes a couple minutes. Okay, um, all right, I'll skip that. Let's go. No. Okay, I'll press the let's go button. Uh, and then, uh, Stay there, Veronica, the don't leave. Here's the people you suggested to yeah. follow. Wait a minute, how can I not be following Peter? I don't know. That's weird. Kevin Rose, oh, I must, I just never got around to uh, you know, the, the reason is because I just never th thought about it. So now I'm following all those good people. Let me move on. And so we're just going to give you stuff to do. Like we keep like loading up, you know, new stuff yeah. um, to check out. This is great. Yeah. Yeah, it keeps so coming you can... at you. Just coming and coming at you. Okay, there's one question. Is By the way, is a gadget rep of 42, is that good or bad? That's uh, low, but you can raise it. <laughs> So here's that question: Why does HBO Go, not Netflix, go, uh, play? Why doesn't it play via HDMI on the yeah. iPad too? So let me go to that question because I'm curious. What is the answer? So this is a little Quora-like. I mean, um, 
I mean, a little bit. Um, we're just trying to do something that's, you know, kind of optimized for gadgets. And, um, you know, so building, when you build your list of gadgets, that's how we will send you questions. Ah. So you'll see questions from your friends, but also from the gadgets. Oh, that that's good. Yeah. List, so, so that's probably why I got this. Now I love it. You can vote up questions. Mark is a good answer. Yeah. And so I'll, the top questions will be the ones that have the best answers, right? Uh, yeah, presumably. Yeah. yeah. This is great. Very nice. So I'm gonna have to play with this. Yeah, people are digging it. I mean, Ryan and I spent a long time working on this design um, and, and uh, trying to, you know, take away a lot of the pain points and then trying to create something that people would find, you know, more engaging and more fun. And, modern. you know, we're, at heart, we're just like super gadget nerds. And we just wanted right. something that um, as gadget nerds, like we could go and just spend a lot of time with. I do like this. I, I never quite understood the idea behind Quora and FormSpring. But this is a little more directed, which so I think that's kind of makes sense. Yeah, it's just just focus on gadgets, uh, and yeah. uh, you know if you have gadget questions, it's a good place to you know ask them. And if you have, and the other, but the thing is, it's almost like kind of more fun to answer questions than to ask them. Right, that's got to be the key because you got to get people to answer them. That's where the content comes. Yeah. from. Yeah, though I have to tell you, we need we need more people asking questions too. <laughs> so oh. we we just, we just rolled this out a few days ago. We actually even haven't even publicly announced it yet. Oh. I think this is as public as we've been. Is, How exciting. Is well, congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. So that's gdgt.com. If you don't have an account, you should make one. And, and then you should follow Leo Laporte because he's yes. he's very nice guy and he needs a... Re oh, my reputation's up two old points. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Don't you. you don't want to see Ryan's rap score. Is it real high? Yeah, it's like, it's pretty high. Thousands? <laughs> it's the rep score. Yeah, well, it's, you know, he's Ryan. Oh, well. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty. I think actually he uh, can. You know, he can just give himself whatever score he wants. Yeah, that's why it's so high. <laughs> <laughs> He's got. Uh, let's see. Where? Oh, six thousand one hundred ninety-six reputation points. Yeah. Chimana Gramanas. Hamana 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 Hamana. Thank you for being here, Peter. Great to see you again. Thanks for having me back on. Mr. Uh, Dwight Silverman is the uh, does so many things. Of course, uh, his day job is at the Houston Chronicle, where he runs the tech and we blog. just we just launched a new we just relaunched our blog network. In you fact, too. The URL has changed. Oh, what is it now? It's it's blogsingular.cron.com. We went. We were using a 2005 installation of movable type. Wow. We are now using WordPress 3. something, and uh, we'll be going to 3.1 soon. But we are now in, on a modern platform. We've done a redesign, and uh, and I'm kind of it's changed my life. You blog several times a day now. I think it looks like. I do, and I'm you know I'm, I kind of have been the point person on the redesign and oh, the I launch. Like yeah. Editorial point of view, and it is uh, it's been just a blast, and and our staff loves it. I you know usually when you make a technology change, uh, journalists don't right. like it. Arr! They love they Arr! love this. Arr! They're excited. Dwight also hosts his own radio show on uh, Pacifica Radio in uh, yeah, Houston. Wednesday nights. Uh, KPFT.org. It's um, Technology Bites with. Uh, Four other geeks, and yes, it's a thousands. it's a really good time. We've had Leo on a few times. You need to come back, Leo. Anytime. I love doing it. It's a really fun show. Really enjoy it. We also invite invite you to buy a brick. Bricks.twit.tv. Our bricks are on sale. We've sold over four hundred of them. That's very exciting. We're going to have some. If you go to bricks.twit.tv, you'll see the different bricks you can buy. We have a uh, four by eight brick. 
um, which is, I think, $128. You can get the 8 by 8 brick. Let's press the button. What happened here? Yeah, there it is. 8 by 8 bricks, uh, which are, oh, I see what I'm which are uh, $512, and if you want a logo, 640 bucks, And we will put them on the wall of honor in the entry lobby of the uh, new Twit Studios. So a lot, a lot of people buy them. It's really cool. And it helps us pay for the incredibly high cost <laughs> of a brand new studio. So I thought I saw the ballparks do this. I thought, well, this would be kind of fun. Bricks.twit.tv, or you'll find it at the front page of twit.tv. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Thank you. It's great to see you, Kevin. Thank you. And uh, thanks for joining us. We do the show every Sunday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific at live.twit.tv. Meanwhile, get... What do, I, what do I say at the end of the show? Oh, another twit. This <laughs> it's is in the can. Is see you.